Welcome to the Stuff of Nightmares podcast. Hey, what's happening everybody? My name is Rick and I'll be your guide on this little journey to get your true crime and paranormal fix. We'll be talking about everything from monsters in the closets to monsters next door. So make sure you keep an eye on your neighbor, you look under your bed, you check your closets, because the stuff of nightmares starts now. Warning. This episode may contain graphic descriptions of violence that some people may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Have you ever watched a movie and at the very beginning the words based on actual events pops up on the screen? Now how many of these movies were so far-fetched that you thought there's no way it was based on actual events? I remember seeing a based on a true story tagline pop up at the beginning of The Return of the Living Dead back in 1995. Now I've only been able to find two explanations for the true events. The first one, the movie starts at a medical supply warehouse when the manager tells a worker about how the Night of the Living Dead was a true story and was based on a chemical release that happened years prior that the government had gotten under control. And many people believe that that true story tagline is based upon that one true story quote in this second movie. The second is, a chemical truck spilled hazardous chemicals that leached into a graveyard. When the workers went to clean up the spill, they had to remove the caskets from the graveyard and found that some of the bodies were upside down or on their side. Apparently there was a chemical reaction with the corpse that caused the body to shake violently inside the casket, causing it to move inside. Being that this was a comedic horror movie, I would think that the first explanation suits the true events tagline the best. Now how many times have you heard of a murder that was based on the events of a song, movie, or video game. There are many, and unfortunately our society feels that movies, video games, and music have too much influence on people today. They feel that people wouldn't do these crimes if they were not exposed to these forms of entertainment and try to hold the entertainment industry accountable. In my opinion, society started to change when people started putting themselves before others. A movie, song, or video game cannot make someone hurt another person without that person first having an underlying or undiagnosed mental condition. Here are a few of these crimes. Dexter Dexter Morgan was a fictional blood splatter expert that moonlighted as a serial killer with morals on the TV show Dexter. His victims were the criminals that would fall through the cracks of justice. Andrew Connolly was a fan of the Dexter TV show that aired on Showtime. On November 28, 2009, Andrew was asked by his parents to watch his 10-year-old brother Connor as they both had to work overnight shifts. At some point in the evening, the brothers started to wrestle. Andrew put his brother in a chokehold and held him there until he passed out. He then drug him into the kitchen where it would be easier to clean up blood. He climbed on top of his little brother and strangled him for 20 minutes. Once he was through, he placed a plastic shopping bag over the 10-year-old's head and used black electrical tape to secure it. 
Connor was still alive at this time and asked him to stop. Once he finished securing the bag, he dragged the boy by his feet down a flight of stairs and slammed his head onto the concrete to ensure that he was dead. He then covered the body with a black trash bag and loaded him into his Honda Accord. He then proceeded to go over to his girlfriend's house, watch a movie, and hang out for a few hours. Later, Andrew took his brother's body to a wooded area near Connor's school and covered him with sticks and underbrush. The next morning when his parents asked where his brother was, Andrew told them he spent the night at his grandmother's house. When they asked him to go pick his brother up, Andrew drove to the police station and turned himself in for the crime. Connor's body was discovered near a maintenance building in a city park. Andrew told police he had wanted to kill someone ever since he was in the 8th grade. He said he was a fan of the TV show Dexter, and he felt like Dexter when he killed his brother. On October 15, 2010, Andrew Conley was sentenced to 45 years to life in prison with no chance of parole. Scream Thierry Jaredin was a 24-year-old truck driver from the small town of Jerpens, Belgium. He had an infatuation with a 15-year-old neighbor, Allison Cambier, who lived a few doors away from his home. One night, Allison stopped by to talk and exchange some videotapes with Thierry. Thierry got upset when Allison turned down his sexual advances and excused himself from the room. He went into an adjacent room where he put on a costume of the killer in the movie Scream. He grabbed two knives and went to face Allison. Thierry attacked his 15-year-old neighbor and stabbed her 30 times. He did not try to cover up this crime. Instead, he laid her body on his bed and put a rose in each hand before calling a friend and his father to confess. When the police arrived, he confessed and claimed the killing was premeditated and was influenced by the Scream movies. He received a life sentence with no chance of parole. Nightmare on Elm Street Nightmare on Elm Street is a movie where the burned-up serial killer Freddy Krueger comes into people's dreams to kill them with his homemade glove that had knife blade fingers. Daniel Gonzalez had been dealing with mental issues for many years. His mother had written a letter to get help for her son asking, does my son have to commit murder to receive help? On September 15, 2004, he went on a drug-induced murder spree that would send four people to their early death. On that day, he came across 61-year-old Peter King and his wife Hilsa while they were walking their dog in Portsmouth, England. Daniel told Mr. King that he was going to kill him, but when Mr. King fought back, Daniel ran away. He would go to the town of Hove, and after walking through back alleys looking for a victim, hid behind some bushes until 76-year-old Marie Harding walked by. He jumped out and stabbed her in her neck and back as she was walking on a path near her home. On September 17, 2004, he traveled to Tottenham and at 5.30 a.m. stabbed 46-year-old Kevin Malloy in the face, head, and torso with a pair of knives he had stolen from a store and left the man for dead. At 7 a.m., he broke into the house of Cuomus Constantino, but was fought off after only stabbing him in the arm and biting him. By 8 a.m., he was in the town of Highgate, where he tried to gain access into multiple houses, 
before finally getting into the home of Derek and Gene Robinson. There he stabbed them and claimed the experience was orgasmic. Daniel was arrested at 12 p.m. on September 17, 2004 at the Tottenham Underground Railroad Station. A painter had seen him run away from the Robinson house naked and covered in blood. He told police he wanted to know what it felt like to be Freddy Krueger for a day. He was given six life sentences and the judge recommended he never be released. Daniel Gonzalez was found dead in his cell at Broadmoor Hospital on August 9, 2007. It is believed he committed suicide. The Purge The Purge is a 2013 movie where the government sanctions one night a year where all crimes including murder, rape, assault, theft and arson are legal from 7pm to 7am the next day. On May 12, 2016 at 12.48am, 56 year old Billy Boyd was found lying on the sidewalk of North Carolina Avenue in Indianapolis. There were no witnesses and no one seemed to know what happened. An autopsy showed he was shot twice in the head. A few hours later at 4.23 a.m., Jay Higginbottom was found dead on the sidewalk of North Denny Street by police. Witnesses say they saw a car pull up and stop in front of Higginbottom. The driver got out and tried to start a fight with him. When Higginbottom ran away, the driver pulled a gun and shot him multiple times until he fell to the ground. The assailant then went through his pockets before leaving. On May 14, 2016 at 6 a.m., two men assaulted and robbed a man by gunpoint and took his cash and two cell phones. At 4.39 a.m. on May 15, 2016, Jose Alberto Ruiz was found slumped in his vehicle with a single gunshot wound to the head. Again, there were no witnesses. On May 16, 2016, 19-year-old Jonathan Cruz was arrested for holding a girl against her will at a Wendy's restaurant, in her car, and at her home. What Cruz didn't know was on May 15th, a female juvenile told police that Cruz was her drug dealer and he had told her about shooting and robbing multiple people. The girl told police that Cruz told her he had been purging. He told her he had shot a man in the back of the head with a small caliber weapon and he had also wanted to show her a video from his phone that he had recorded, but she did not want to watch it. On May 17, 2016, police searched Cruz's home on East Washington Street and found a treasure trove of evidence, which included pictures of guns, ammo, spent casings, and videos. While searching his phone, they came across a text message stating, I purge every night now, since I'm dying someone else has to. They also found text messages to his mom with a screenshot of the breaking news story of each of the men found shot. On May of 2017, Cruz was sentenced to three life sentences without parole and 16 years in prison for the robberies to be served concurrently. Grand Theft Auto 3 GTA or Grand Theft Auto is a highly scrutinized video game where players earn points by doing various crimes such as robberies, carjackings, looting, and even murder. At the end of 2002 into 2003, a group of young men would get high and play video games during the day, one of which was Grand Theft Auto, and at night would go out and do it for real on the streets of Oakland, California. The group of six named themselves the Nutcases and would drive the streets of Oakland looking for random targets. 21-year-old Demarcus Rawls, his half-brother 29-year-old Joe Rawls, 23-year-old Jamari Sutton, 
their cousin, 20-year-old Deontay Donald, their sister-in-law, 28-year-old Amina Dorsey Colbert, and 28-year-old Leon Wiley, who is believed to be the ringleader, were all members of the Nutcases. For six weeks, this group would terrorize the city of Oakland, committing various crimes just for thrills. On October 24, 2002, Joseph Mabry, a youth basketball coach, was shot to death as he sat in his car. He was chosen as a victim because he was having an affair with the only female member of the Nutcases. A few months later, their crimes started to increase in frequency. On December 18, 2002, police found 19-year-old Douglas Ware shot to death on the street outside a West Oakland public housing project. Witnesses claim a vehicle pulled up to a crowded street corner and opened fire. Then, on December 27, 2002, a 14-year-old boy, Keith Mackey, and 24-year-old Jerry Duckworth were killed as bullets sprayed into the front door of an apartment having a holiday party. Their final murder would happen on January 6, 2003, as they robbed and shot 31-year-old Sonny Thatch. Thatch had just returned from the laundromat and was carrying his child's laundry into his home. During their reign of terror, they did numerous other crimes, including robbery, which is what ended up getting them caught. Police were given the description of a Buick and several digits of the license plate, which led police back to Amina Dorsey Colbert. At that time, there were no connections to any violent crimes, but that would quickly change. On January 16, 2003, police executed a search warrant for Dorsey Colbert's car, and inside they found two handguns and a shotgun. Dorsey Colbert and Jamari Sutton admitted to their involvement in the murders, and a few days later, Demarcus Rawls and Deontay Donald admitted to committing various crimes. Police said they were very nonchalant and were almost bragging about the crimes they committed. Jamari Sutton pleaded no contest to 10 counts of robbery and was sentenced to 15 years, four months in prison. Joseph Rawls pleaded no contest to two counts of involuntary manslaughter and received a sentence of 23 years in prison. Amina Dorsey Colbert received a 15 years to life in prison sentence for her role in the murder of her lover, Joseph Mabry, and also received a 75 years to life prison sentence for murdering another member of the gang, 20-year-old Glenn Faison, in 2004. Leon Wiley, who is believed to be the shot caller, laughed when he received his life in prison without parole sentence. He screamed, I don't give a fuck, I ain't scared of nothing, and yelled, this is the nutcases, as he was escorted out of the courtroom. Deontay Donald was sentenced to 79 years plus two life sentences in prison for committing 31 violent crimes, four murders, and one kidnapping. Demarcus Rawls received the harshest sentence for his role in the gang. He received 141 years plus four life sentences without parole. He was convicted on four murders, two attempted murders, and 19 other felony charges. Like what you're hearing so far? Make sure to never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show.
All right, everybody, let's get a little bit creepy. Our first listener submitted experience tonight is from Kara. I'm Kara from Pennsylvania, and I'm here to tell about my experience in my childhood home, which was built in the 1980s, so it was a new house. It was built on a cornfield, from what I know. Uh, A few years after we moved in, I was in first grade, I started having an experience where I would wake up and it would look like there was a short person at the bottom of my bed. At first, it looked like a child, but then more and more when I would wake up, it started to kind of morph into what looked like a troll. It would run from the bottom of my bed into the hallway and disappear. I would scream for my parents. They used to come in, you know, say, what's wrong? I used to tell them I saw something or I would make the excuse I had a bad dream. It got to the point where it was so often that they stopped coming in my room and I would just lay there and scream until I finally fell asleep. I had to sleep with lights on and eventually they got me a TV so that I could have that on to distract myself. A few years ago, my sister, we just so happened to be talking about paranormal stuff. She had actually told me about an experience she had in her room. She actually saw a shadow that looked like the size of a child that ran across the bottom of her bed. It would go from her closet and kind of run towards the window. She saw that a bunch of times and she started sleeping in my room, which we both were scared. And finally, our parents got to the point where they didn't want us sleeping in the steam bed anymore because they thought it was ridiculous. We also heard whispering in our ears. I would hear my name whispered and it sounded so close that I thought it was my mom trying to wake me up. That happened after I stopped seeing this being run from the bottom of my bed. I saw that boy, person, troll, whatever it was, maybe for about a good year. And then finally I stopped seeing it, but then I started hearing the whispering. To this day, my sister said, and now my sister's 35, she's younger than me. Uh, When she comes to visit, she refuses to sleep in that room. Uh, She will sleep in my mom's room with her. And she said, it's embarrassing at 35 years old that she will not sleep in her room. There's just something about her room that feels off. I agree with her. Every time I go into her room, there's just something off about her room. And the weird thing is, is that when I've had dreams about my childhood home, it's always been in her room for some reason. My room, when I go there to look at old things, my parents still have stuff in my closet, that feels kind of off too. There's almost a coldness in my room for some reason. My mom has recently told me that she has seen shadows in her room as well and has actually heard somebody calling for her saying mom uh even growing up when we were at school she would hear mom and she'd look around 
thinking it was one of us, but knew that we were at school and she thought she was going crazy. So after a while, she felt bad that she would get angry that we would be calling for her at night. And she finally understands now and believes that we were seeing what we saw. She is now actually into the paranormal and uh, was part of an investigation group. And I'm actually now part of a paranormal investigation team. Uh, so I'm trying to understand kind of what's going on. Uh, I'm also empathic sensitive as well. Uh, so I think that kind of, that was the start of it. So I don't know, I've had other experiences where I'll hear what sounds like people talking, whispering amongst each other, like diner talk almost, or like people talking in a rest a restaurant, but you can't quite hear what they're saying. If, if there's silent, complete silence in the room, or especially when I'm vacuuming, I'll almost hear people talking. And then I turn the vacuum off, I don't hear anything. I also can't do pitch black. I feel like as soon as the lights go out, I feel like there's 5,000 eyes on me and it's very uncomfortable. And I don't know if it's related to the past experience I had, but I just, I can't do it. So that's my very first experience I've had with the paranormal. And I do want to actually eventually research that property to see who owned that land because maybe something happened on the property or if maybe there's a portal or that our family is just sensitive and open that things just come through uh, so I just I kind of want to find that out I do actually want to do an investigation in my home at some point my mom is scared to do it but I really want to find out what we saw. Thanks, Kara. If you end up doing an investigation, give us a call back. We'd love to hear what you found. Our next experience was sent via email from Gary and is read by Zach Ness. Hey, Rick. This is Gary from the United Kingdom. I have a few experiences I would like to tell you about. The first experience I'm going to tell you about is very bizarre, but true. Back in 2013, I was working in a psychiatric hospital as a healthcare assistant. After the patients had their evening tea, they were sent to their rooms to relax. This was considered a low dependency ward, so between 6 and 6.30 p.m., I was the only one on duty to watch the corridor and the day room. The other four, a mixture of staff nurses and HCAs, were either in their office or having tea themselves. I noticed something coming through the wall of the corridor. It was coming from the grounds outside the ward, which at this time of day is off limits. It appeared to be a robot. It was between five and five and a half feet tall. It had a strange flattened head with lots of angles to it. The body had a large metal plate that covered its stomach and its arms and legs were made of what I can only describe as very shimmery inner tubes. It walked very slow and blocky. I'm not really sure how to explain it. No patients came out of their rooms and no one else was around to see it. Of course, I was the only one to see the damn thing. It took about a half second to cross the corridor and through the wall of a locked room 
and that was the last time I saw it. The second experience I had, I remember something that happened when I was 10 years old. As a child, I was a very poor sleeper, and one night I was still awake when the clock struck 1am. When the clock struck a second time at quarter past one, it immediately felt as the house was filled with a strange haunting music. Not sure what was happening, I dove under the covers with fright, but was compelled to sit up and look. What I saw baffled me. I saw two lines of little people, about one and a half to two inches in height, with eleven people in each line, marching across the hallway. I sat there scared to death and in disbelief. They marched across the hall and disappeared into the dividing wall between my parents' bedroom and the bathroom. The funny thing is, as soon as the last two disappeared through the wall, everything went silent. Not a peep. But what got me then, and even now, is not one of my three brothers even stirred, and neither did my parents. And finally, the last experience I'm going to tell you about happened to me at the first house I bought. I always found it comforting to watch the TV in total darkness. I don't know if you remember the TV show Most Haunted, but this happened during one of their Most Haunted live episodes when they were in an abandoned US airbase in the UK. The show normally lasted three to four hours and I was about two hours into the episode when I became aware of a rather perfect, strange purple arch glowing over the TV. It resembled a large piece of barbed wire with big spikes. I sat there confused, taking it all in, when I noticed something even stranger to my right. I turned my head. There was this thing sitting cross-legged on the floor. It was a figure outlined in an aquamarine blue color, the most lovely blue I've seen. Now I am not psychic or a medium, but it obviously knew I could see it as it immediately stood up, took two steps to the right, and just vanished, disappeared. That is one of the best experiences I have had to this date. Thanks for letting me share my experiences. Thanks for the email, Gary. I have no doubt that you were completely freaked out during those experiences. I guarantee you, I would have been hiding under the covers during them. Our final experience tonight is from Christine. Hi, my name's Christine and I'm from Pennsylvania. My dad passed away when I was nine years of age. I had a younger sister who was a year and a half younger than me and then my baby brother who was approximately six years old. I was nine at the time, my sister was eight and my brother was, um, I guess he would have been three years old at the time. My father passed away when we lived in a small town called Windsor approximately he was 27 years of age my mother was the same age approximately a year after my father passed away my mother purchased a home in yo when my father had been alive we lived in yo so i knew he was familiar with with the area when we moved in my next door neighbor introduced herself to my mother as ruth ann my mother had worked many hours didn't really get to know her neighbors real well so my neighbor, Ruth Ann, never was inside our home in Yo. My mother worked late at a grocery store. Uh, she worked until about 11 p.m. each evening. She would come, my grandparents would babysit the three of us kids, and my mother would, uh, would leave work around 11 p.m., go to my grandparents' home, and then drive back to her home in Yo. So it, was, it wasn't unusual for us to arrive home after midnight, well after midnight. I'm gonna say we lived at our home, I don't know, maybe three to six months, I can't remember because it's been so so long. 
but I very clearly remember that one evening the the us three kids my mother were coming up the steps yo is very hilly and we lived on a in a home that had uh, two sets of stairs as we were walking up this the stairs we heard a dog chain it sounded very much like as though a well you were here with a dog that had a chain around its neck that had escaped and was running my mother who was frightened of dogs rushed us because the, the chain sounded as though it were running and it was running towards us my mother who was frightened of dogs rushed us three kids into the house never gave it any more thought never saw a dog and we it was of you know it's just something that we didn't think anything more of the following uh, day my next-door neighbor Ruthann came over to my mother's house and my mother had her name was Suzanne had mentioned that her name was Sue to our neighbor my father on the other hand always called my mom Susie and only really close family members called my mother Susie otherwise people knew her as Suzanne or Sue Ruthann came to our house the next day uh, during daylight hours and shared with my mother that a gentleman had stopped by early evening the night before. That was the same night we, we heard the dog chains uh, that were coming towards us. And my mother asked, did you happen to get the name of the gentleman that stopped by? Thinking, you know, she wants to, you, she could give him a call or know who she was expecting to see, you know, the next few days. Ruthann indicated no. She said, what did the man ask? The gentleman that was standing on her porch asked, how are Susie and the kids doing? And Ruthann, who didn't really know us that well, simply, simply said to him, they seem to be doing well. The man never gave his name. My mother said, did the man, and again, we never gave it any thought as to, as to who this man was until my mother said to Ruthann, can you describe the gentleman? My mom had no pictures of my father, and to this, to this day, I don't have any pictures of my, my father. Again, he was 27 years old. She was 27 years old at the time of his death. So Ruthann, when she asked, when my mother asked her to describe the individual that was that was standing on our porch, she described my father to a T, right down to the fact that he had on on black uh, motorcycle boots, and he was wearing uh, blue jeans and a T-shirt that had a pack of cigarettes rolled up in the sleeves. My father did that because he rode motorcycles. My father had passed away. Um, my father had passed away when we grew up in Windsor from a motorcycle accident. She described my father to a T. That gentleman never came back to our home. To this day, I fully believe my father came simply to check on whether my mom and us three kids were, were doing okay. And that's that's um that's the end of the story. Thank you, Christine, for sharing your experience with us. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Stuff of Nightmares podcast. Thanks for listening. If you would like to find out more about today's topic, you can check out our sources in the show notes on Facebook and our website at www.thestuffofnightmares.show. Like, share, and follow us on Facebook as well as subscribe and give us a positive review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have an experience that you would like to share with the show, you can either email me to admin at the stuff of nightmares podcast dot show 
or message me through Facebook. I am your host, Rick Ness. I will see you next episode where I hope to find out what keeps you up at night.